This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Shouldn't you be at work? It's a lovely chip! Oh, it's a brilliant goal from Lord Pujito! Dillick's not away. Southgate's shot. Milosevic scores. Now you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, Hello and welcome to Series 11, Episode 5 of Quickly Kevin Willie Score. It's another big one. Joining me as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And dancing in the moonlight is Michael Martin. Hello. I just wanted to get, just wanted to get a top loader. Do you think we're going to pick up many top loader fans coming in for this one? Is that, is that 90s? Why is this dancing in the moonlight 90s? Well, it's a Don't cover, it isn't is. it? It's probably pre-90s. But Dion Dublin, of course, uh, pl- playing with top loader. Yeah, of course. They're probably what he's most famous for, behind yes, Coventry, Aston Villa, and Homes Under the Hammer. The other top load of thing is that there was a thing doing the rounds, wasn't there, of Liz Truss when she was young being interviewed in the NME as a new MP, and her favourite album was Onka's Big Mocker by Top Loader. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That can't Which, be the case anymore, can it? I can't imagine she's popped it on in 10 Downing Street. Partly because of obviously what happened within 24 hours of her getting the job. Right. Did I ever tell Chris. you? I, the last time we talked about Top Loader, I looked up their set list and they, they played Dancing in the Moonlight twice. If anything, too little. <laughs> um, so, shall we get on with uh, the uh, 90 o'clock news? Yes, please. From the headquarters of ITN, News at 10. Chris Scarlett. All the latest news from the 2021 Meat Management Industry Awards. Oh, yes, please. And David Beckham's contract at Preston North Enderburgers. Should we talk about the Meat Management Industry Awards? Because shout out to Reese Daly, who sent this one in. They've published the highlights from the Meat Management Awards 2021. There's a video. Kevin oh, wow. Keegan speaks in the video. Oh, wow. Oh, oh wow. boy, are you in for a treat. So Keegan Keegan only appears a couple of times in this video. Yeah. Like I'll be honest with you. 
Keegan comes on, he makes some quip about who's talked about it, who's been on the guest that's been on before him. But then Keegan, you see Keegan delivering a talk. But it's it's over music. It's over so, music. You, don't, so you, you can't hear, hear any of the content. Keegan walks on, as we've just heard, I'm sure, and says, after hearing that intro, I'm looking forward to myself talk now. I'd love to hear the intro. Presumably, the words European Football of the Year were certainly used in that intro. But um, I think what's happened there is Keegan's got a corporate set, understandably, and he doesn't want any of it used in the video. So... <laughs> Which I totally understand. Keegan's not. It's Keegan's not including his material in the video. So yeah. that's what's happened there. Surely. Um, okay, but I can play you in the last bit. So there's a little interview at the end of the video with Kevin Keegan. Yeah, I really enjoyed myself. I've never been to uh, anything to do with the meat industry before. I do a lot of work like this, but yeah, the great crowd. Uh, for me, the, the biggest uh, pleasure I got was the joy on the faces of the winners. You know, it's lovely to win things and uh, to see that what they've done for the last year has been recognised. How middle of the road is oh, that? My word. I don't, I don't believe that Kevin Keegan thought about the joy on the face of the winners at the Meat Marketing <laughs> Industry Awards ever again after leaving. But you know, of course, he's got to say something. I don't, I don't begrudge him that. Uh, that answer because I think he's dealt with a situation of trying to offer an opinion on something he couldn't give a shit about very easily and it's great as well he's kept the spirit of the entertainers because it's great to win something it's great to win something he's happy to see the joy on their faces he's all about entertaining football and entertaining management I wonder whether that's the this is a a new attitude after he lost the 1996 (laughs) uh, title race because surely Keegan should be more impressed with the, the nominees who put in a more yeah. exciting loin of pork that maybe wasn't as effective. <laughs> you, you see him as well doing the round. You see him within the video again, no sound. But you see him doing the rounds and kind of like checking into the table. Do you think he's just consoling the runners-up, going, "You got to, you got to learn from this." I wonder if he doesn't. I would love. Lo- surely, if he's running through all the awards, he's got to do a pastiche at some point. When he oh, says something like that about Lincolnshire sausages, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the most astonishing bit as well is at the start, he goes, I've never done anything with the meat industry before. Then why are you here? But again, I don't understand why you've been booked. You've got no association with the meat industry. You've said he has lots of... He's, he's been very clear in the promotional literature last series we covered that he does have a lot of barbecues. I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> So next up, David Beckham's contract at Preston North End has come into the public domain. So this is astonishing. This came into the public domain because they, it's actually the stadium manager's office at Deepdale. The actual contract is framed and on the wall uh, of, oh, wow. the, of the manager. So it's a quite cool little piece of history. So you can see what uh, David Beckham's contract there. So he was getting. So who was paying? Was pe- were Preston paying all of his wages? I, d- I think this is the contact between Preston and Manchester United, right, maybe. Okay. So you can see that uh, David Beckham is earning £400 a week and £50 if he scores. This is February 1995. Wow. That's a high goal bonus, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And he, I think he, he scored a few times. I think he played... Where is it? Let's have a look here. I've got the actual stats somewhere. He played. He made five appearances in Division 3, scoring two goals. Good scoring record, better than Paolo Di Canio's. Yeah. <laughs> it's a higher ratio than Paolo Di Canio. If you were a Preston fan, or are a Preston fan, if you saw those games, I'd love to know how he did. 
I'd love a scouting yeah. report on how David Beckham did in his Preston time. An honest appraisal of what you thought as a Preston fan of David Beckham when he played for you in the early to mid-90s. Well, I, can, I, I don't know much of his Preston time. Yeah, I'd love to know that. But I do know that while he was at Preston, he scored from a corner. Did he? Yeah. Oh, that's good. I would like to expand that out and say, if you're a fan of a low elite club and a, and a kind of a big 90s football player played for you on loan yeah. when, they were, when they were young, not later in their career, when they were young, when no one knew who they were, your sort of honest perspective on it. Yeah, I don't think we had anyone like that at Plymouth. Well, I, but the best goal I ever score, I saw in, in the flesh was scored by Aloney at Plymouth, and that was Scott Sinclair, who did go on to a high level, I'd say. He ran from the edge of the Plymouth area all the way up to score. At, it was away at Barnet. And that, Scott Sinclair was obviously better than everyone else when he played for Plymouth. But um, that's the only Is experience. he the best? Is he, would you say he's the best the best player ever to play for Plymouth like in terms of what he's gone on to do? No, in the modern era, I mean. Um, obviously, we've had players go the other way. Uh, Dan Gosling, maybe? Did he yeah. do... He did all right? Mark Edworthy uh, played quite a lot at the top level. Um, I have to say, this, this, these aren't very good names. Jamie Mackey. Jamie Mackey <laughs> played in the Aguero game, I think he probably played in. Surely, right, like, there's enough footballers. Someone good would have come through. I think, it, I think it's more of a sign of how difficult it is to transition from the lower two divisions into the Premier League. How rare it is that someone would play in those divisions these days. Before, well, Leighton Orient had Harry Kane. Do you know what yeah, I mean? that's, like, that's one example. That's literally the only <laughs> example we've got, Chris. That's literally it. You're 10 seconds away from saying the words Jamie Vardy to back it <laughs> I'd love yeah. to know, maybe there's a kind of best player at the worst club thing. That maybe that, yeah. yeah I mean, and your scouting reports on 90s legends that yeah. played for you when they were lower, do send them in. Now, here is the electronic post bag. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Post Bag. You've got mail. We stay, don't worry, on a, uh, a sideways kind of reference to Plymouth, uh, which is Peter Shilton's assistant, John McGovern. Do you remember John McGovern? Played in the Brian Clough uh, European Cup winning Forest team. I think he might have played for Derby under him as well. Yeah. One of the main stars of that. Now, do you remember last week's anti-Niemi clip, or a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember now, in which... A man phoned up a radio station to ask why Anthony Amy wasn't in the uh, in the Scotland team. Well, this has been revealed about John McGovern. John McGovern, who won two European Cups at Forest, but was never capped for Scotland. And do you know why? Well, get this. So, Ali McLeod, the manager for the Argentina 1978 uh, World Cup, uh, said, after Forest beat Man U 4-0 at Old Trafford... Ali McLeod said that all the Scottish players at Forest would be in the squad for Argentina. A photographer went down to Nottingham, hired kilts, and got John Robertson, Archie Gemmell, Kenny Burns into those kilts, along with Brian Clough, for a photograph. Yeah. And then the squad was named, and John McGovern wasn't in the Scotland squad. And do you know why? Because Ali McLeod didn't realise he was Scottish. So what? Jeez. So that meant he didn't get picked. Didn't get picked because the manager of Scotland didn't realise that he that John McGovern was a Scot. I just don't understand that because surely his teammates are going. You know, John's from like Montrose, whoever it is. 
The like, squad was named and I wasn't there. Somebody asked him about that and he said he didn't know I was Scottish. Isn't that mad? That makes no sense. He's really good. He's got to be one of the best Scottish players. Do you know what he, he, I've just looked, he played twice for the under-23s for Scotland. Yeah, so that Did was Did everyone under... who's witnessed that just forget it, ha- forgot it happened, you know? Well, no, just Ali McLeod. Just Ali McLeod, the manager, was naming the squad. You're not Google. I, I suppose it's a kind of sign of how much things were just done on the scribble on the back of a kind of notepad or whatever yeah you'd be livid though wouldn't you there's no sort of football manager you know player search by nationality you'd be so annoyed imagine missing out on a world cup or a major tournament because your national team manager just doesn't know your nationality but can't you phone him up even in the 70s especially like looking forward to how like jack charles and those republic of ireland people found players generations like away that the tenuous link this guy's actually Scottish <laughs> he's in the Scottish Football Hall of Fame yeah well that, yeah exactly which he shouldn't be because he didn't play enough <laughs> he wasn't at the time to be very clear that is amazing isn't it he's, the, he's one of only two Scottish players to ever win the European Cup but never get a full international cap who's the other he said I've got a quote here I've got a quote from John McGovern I would have walked up the M74 over broken glass to get one cap for Scotland I just wish I'd have got one cap because that would have been the proudest moment of my life that is even when he doesn't even when he doesn't take him to the World Cup surely someone mentions it and then he gets picked after that like this is incredible or like there's qualifiers he played for Nottingham Forest until 1982. Yeah, like a game or a couple of games not getting picked. But in the run-up, you know, let's just say there's four squad announcements prior to the main World Cup squad announcement. Surely somebody, as a journalist, a manager, a player, goes, hey, boss, what about McGovern? We're a bit light in midfield. <laughs> or, you know, why didn't you pick him? There are two or three other players, you said, at his own club being picked. Yeah. Why didn't one of them go... Um, is there a, you know, just so I can tell my mate back home, why, why is he not picked? Yeah, if you're John McGovern, you're going to, you're going to the, uh, your mates, uh, who's it, Archie Gemmell and Asa Hartford, could you have a word? Like, you'd think Brian Clough would pick up the phone for him. Well, maybe Clough didn't, do you think he might have, like, is he, famously, like, he didn't like his players, you know, he didn't want to big him up too much, do you think if his head would have gone if it had been, int- it'd been uh, called right. up? I don't know. Maybe Clough's put a word in Ali McLeod's ear saying, you know he's actually English. He's a bad egg. And he's he's English. He's one of those English bad eggs. That is astonishing. I feel so sad for him. Do email in if... It feels so not true that please email in if we're wrong. And not we're wrong. John McGovern himself is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're not peddling this. Ben Parkin. Hello, chaps. Having just come back from school's National Athletics final and reading uh, their programme, I was shocked to see a former 90s footballer, as one of the competition record holders. So, one of the record holders for the school triple jump is Mr. Michael Dubry. What? Yeah, you know how we're talking on the uh, Danny Baker Own Goals and Gaffs episode, if you are a fan club member, about natural talent. I suppose Michael Dubry's a great example of that natural talent because he is a, uh, is a record holder in the triple jump. Here it is. Wow. So, the Intermediate Boys Schools Cup Final. Best ever performances. Triple jump. M. Dubry. Enfield Grammar. Middlesex. Do you want to have a guess? In 1991, so that would be about when he was at school. That is the correct time. Do you want to have a guess what Michael Dubry was jumping in the triple jump? 
So what's the re- Jonathan Edwards is doing what? 18 metres? 18 metres, Jonathan Edwards. So I'm going to go 16. Michael? I think that's quite long. I'm going to say f- 15.2. 14.17. Oh! Which, if you saw the triple jump at my school when we did it, <laughs> like the distance Dewberry was beating. Yeah. People in my school at the triple jump. I was so bad at triple jump that I wouldn't make the sand pit. Joe, like you'd start, you'd start, and you'd go, "I can't jump onto my ass because I'm going to land on rubber." (laughs) (laughs) Like it's so short, I can't even get to the sand pit. Do you want another quick quiz question before we uh, wrap up the post bag from Graham McKenzie? How many games did Roger Miller start in the 1990 World Cup? Oh, here we go. I love stuff like this. One. None. He didn't start again. He didn't start. He still managed to score four goals as one of the most memorable players of the tournament. He played 241 minutes in total as a sub over five matches, two of which involved extra time. Group stage, 10 minutes versus Argentina. 32 minutes for Romania, two goals scored. 57 minutes versus Soviet Union, didn't score. Last 16, 67 minutes, including extra time. Two goals scored against Colombia. Quarterfinal came on. Uh, at half time, played seventy five minutes against England. There we go. So the so- the Soviet Union game was that a group game? Yeah. So he's come on before half time in that game. He's come on before half time. In Unless the there was Union. eight or nine minutes of additional time. Maybe but- there was an injury. Maybe there was an injury. Let's have a look. He's mad that he never started. Was he that unfit that he couldn't run <laughs> for a whole game? <laughs> Oh, they lost 4-0 to the Soviet Union. So they were 2-0 down. It's mad, they lost 4-0. They had a good World Cup. Wow. He he came on, yeah, at 2-0 after 34 minutes. Maybe, maybe we're uncovering, we're peeling back the layers of that George Weir myth about the volume of time that they sleep. So perhaps Roger Miller, the only way that he could play him and he'd be effective is he had to wake up at some point during the first half. All great. Otherwise he wasn't getting his requisite amount of hours sleep all great African strikers are sleeping the George Ware amount of sleep <laughs> um, that is there you That's go astonishing great nice love that. Fact, more of that more, more of, of that. that more of all of it uh, if you want to get in touch this is how get in touch with the show email hello at quicklykevin.com follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com Right, this next interview, I'm going to say it straight into the Hall of Fame, this one, isn't it? I love this so much. One of our best ever episodes. I know we say that sometimes, but this really is top tier, grade A, quickly, Kevin. I felt like we could have talked for another hour and every anecdote you had was still gold. Like, we we weren't getting close to the dregs. Yeah, I'd say Michael does a lot of work on some of these episodes to make it uh, the (laughs) enjoyable listener is. But I would... Imagine, Michael, this has been a very light touch, if at all. If you want more of Dion Dublin, uh, there is uh, him answering the uh, listeners' questions. Uh, so, uh, yes, the dube is mentioned. Head over to anotherslice.com forward slash quickly, Kevin, to join the fan club for more of Dion Dublin, plus all our extra episodes on there and extended versions of all our other episodes, plus lots and lots of other perks. Anotherslice.com forward slash quickly, Kevin. But here is a man who... Uh, bestrode the 90s high and low from Cambridge to Manchester United to following Paul Gascoigne into the room when dropped from the 1998 England squad. This is the incredible 
der und Dublin. Our guest this week is a titan of 90s football, the star of many a Cambridge United, Coventry City and Aston Villa side. But you'll know him best as the inventor of the Jube and the breakout star of Homes Under the Hammer. Welcome to Quickly Kevin, Dion Dublin. How are we? That is some intro, by the way. Let me tell you. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to ask right off the top. How did you get into Homes Under the Hammer? How does this happen? And you know what it was? You know, by mistake, in 1992, when I signed for United, in 92, I, I bought a house in Cheshire, and then obviously things didn't go well for me at United with a broken leg and stuff. So I had to leave, but I kept hold of a house. And then yeah. I went to Coventry, and I bought a house um, in Warwickshire, and then I bought another house in Warwickshire, but I kept hold of the houses. And before I know it, I thought, hi, oh, yeah, they're putting a few quid in for me here. <laughs> I'll keep, I'll keep hold of those. And then three three houses in, before you know it, you know, you've got yourself a little portfolio. And when I was at Coventry Villa in Leicester, yeah. I, I could stay in Warwickshire. So it was it was nice that I could manage them quite easily. So uh You weren't managing them yourself though. You're not phoning up your landlord Dion Dublin because your <laughs> heater's broken, are you? <laughs> your boiler's not there. working. I know yeah. you've got a game tomorrow, Dion, but can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Down. Uh, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's early on, early on, pal. I was, yeah, but now I've got some, you know, some, some yeah. friends that are helping me out. Right. Yeah. Which is good. Which is good. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was. A kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Well, let's let's start with football. We always ask this of professional footballers. How much better were you than everyone else at school? I, I started playing seriously, and this sounds stupid, about nine nine years old. Yeah. Uh, it's late, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is late, exactly. When, when I when I say started playing seriously, people started to think, oh, he's scoring a couple of goals for the school yeah. team. 
Yeah. So I started under 10s at Leicester, um, Leicester City, and I was playing for the county. And every time you score a goal, your name gets in the paper, and then I'd cut it out, and then I'd save it and put it in my scrapbook. And I've got loads of scrapbooks from, from that era. But from nine, um, in answer to your question, I was, you know, you score a lot of goals in the kids' teams and you're shooting from the halfway line. The keeper comes out, it bounces over his head. You score six in a game, you won 18 nil. All that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then you just, you progress. And then as you're, as you're playing for Leicester City, 10s, 11s, 12s, 13s, you just get better and you get bigger, you get taller. And I don't know, you just, you always stay ahead of, the people around you if you're doing the work to do so and I just kept going and kept going and kept going and uh, when I got to 15 everything kind of stopped at Leicester Leicester said you're not quite good enough Dean. we're going to have to let you go and then I and then I had to work for a year and even saying it now I get a bit of a nosebleed work <laughs> <laughs> after work I had to do a proper job I had to do 80 hours and all. it's just crazy crazy and I was doing I worked in a, a leisure centre putting out the badminton gear and stuff. And I worked in a hosiery factory, wrapping up fabrics, worked in an ice cream factory, which wasn't bad to be fair for the family. Yeah. Like that. So <laughs> I did, I did like a year's worth of work. And while I was doing that, this is, this, is, this is how I started. This is how my career started. While I was doing that, my dad wrote a letter, literally wrote a letter. He photocopied it 92 times. Put it, <laughs> honestly, no. put it in a put it in envelopes, wrote the address of every single professional football club, wow. put a stamp on it and sent 92 letters out to every single professional club saying, my son's really good. He can do this. He can do that. Got about 10 replies, got about six trials and then away you go. Wow. So do you think it. there's a, a wow. parallel world in which you did, you weren't a footballer or do you think with players of, I mean, you played for England. Surely it, it feels inevitable that you'd have made a living from it, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, it's if if you don't have, uh, I know it's very very much cliche. If you don't have your mum and dad's car as the taxi to yeah. take trials and all this kind of stuff, my mum and dad worked their asses off, man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, there was there was me, uh, three brothers and a sister, and we all lived in this terrace house on a council estate in Leicester, and they worked and worked and worked. And they ferried me around the country for trials and football matches and stuff. And they were knackered. But they just, they allowed me to, and I was the youngest, to be fair. I think actually what they were thinking, the other three brothers were shit. <laughs> <laughs> I need to make sure you bring the dough in, young man. Get yourself to it. <laughs> um, when, you, when your dad's writing those letters, because you're a bit of a curiosity in football, because you're famously striker slash defender, obviously more known as a striker. Where are you playing? Where are you playing back then? I was playing centre forward, a bit of a glory hunter, scoring goals and, on the odd on the odd occasion, I'd have to I'd have to go and play centre half for the team. I was playing men's football at fifteen, while I was working in the ice cream factory and all that stuff. So I was playing men's football, getting kicked up in the air all the time. But you know, football wise, I was fine, but very light physically and stuff. So I was getting smashed all over the place, which I think took me in the direction of being a physical player. So you had to look after yourself at 15. You were light. You were getting smashed every week by the guys that had been to the pub on the Saturday night, absolutely steaming on the Sunday, and they just want to kick the young lad. <laughs> and I was the young lad. And uh, it just made me it made me know how to deal with pain, how to fall, how to take, you know, contact. And that's how I think I sort of 
mapped out the game that I played, which was obviously a very physical game. And, and playing a physical game, the best place to be in the country at the start of your career, I would say, was Cambridge United. That was pretty much the philosophy, right? <laughs> I swear, honestly, I, honestly, we had, we had, I don't know, about five or six seniors in that squad. We had a player called Liam Daish. Yeah, went to Birmingham. Uh, Liam Daish, Birmingham, uh, left-sider, uh, left-side, centre-half, unit, hard Irishman. Hard Irishman, didn't want to cross him. Uh, we, we had so many unnecessary scraps in the tunnel down to Daish. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> there was so many things that you don't know about, what was this, late 80s, early 90s. And Daishi is going down, he's got the armband on, and he just wants to fight everybody, and he gets, are you fucking looking at it? And then it all just fucking, and you big cloud, honestly, a big cloud in the tunnel, and you come out, you come out the tunnel, and everybody's got nose and eyes, all over that kind of stuff, and there's blood everywhere, and the game ain't even started. <laughs> but that's what we were like, one in all in, you know? One yeah. in all. It was just, it was just, I think that's what made me absolutely spot on. I went from this skinny young boy to, you know, a man. When I came out, I was ready. I was ready to go, you know, with anything. And uh, it was down to characters like Daisy, Chris Legbetter, Tony Dennish, Gary Clayton. Loads and loads of good characters, man. We Even now, they're the ones, you know, that I keep in touch with. Chris Ledbetter, of course, played in the 1996 playoff final. Plymouth beat Darlington. I'm sure that was a big day that you knew I'd bring up. Um, <laughs> Gary Clayton was in that squad as well, but we won't go into that. Uh, a big a big man in this, the biggest man in this whole kind of tale of Cambridge, you know, let's say the greatest period in the history of Cambridge United was John Beck, who is a legend of this podcast, we're obsessed with him. What was he like? Was he scary? He was, no, he wasn't scary at all. He was, he was odd in the way that he wanted us to play the game. Mm. Was the player, the, the manager that took me to Cambridge was a guy called Chris Turner. God rest his soul, he's no longer with us. However, he knew the game, and all the players that I've mentioned to you, Liam Dage, Chris Ledbitter, he brought all those players into the club. Mm. He had us for he had us for about a year. He wanted us to play out from the back, and he wasn't a coach, but he was very much a manager, a good man manager. And uh, Becky was our number two. He was a first team coach, and then below Becky was Gary Johnson, and below Gary Johnson was a guy called Graham Scarf. So. We had some really good coaches. Chris Turner was with us for about a couple of years, and then John Beck took over. Change. Everything changed. Don't you be playing out from that, none of that tippy-tappy stuff. Get it on your butt. <laughs> Smash it down the channel onto Dion Dublin's head, John Taylor's head, or Stevie Claridge's head, and chase after it. And we'll, we'll, we'll work off stats. And that's what it was. It was just, he changed everything. What was training like under him? Was it literally that? It's just the same as the game. What he did as well, I don't know if you know this, if you can imagine, I'm, I'm centre-half right now, and then on the right of me is the right-back, Gary Clayton. So Gary Clayton's there, and you've got the left-back over there. Down those channels of the right-back and the left-back, right, the right at the end, at the far end of the pitch, there was a sign. And this is no joke, there was a sign. He had made some massive signs. And he said... Quality Street, and all they had to do just hit Quality Street. Out your right foot, bam! Out your right foot, bam! If nobody's there, you still have to kick it up that street. It was just crazy. <laughs> um, so there's there's some myths about John Beck uh, that I you'll I be bet, able I to bet, answer. I bet you they're not myths. I bet you. They're not <laughs> <laughs> so one's a bit like Quality Street is that yeah. he'd grow the grass longer in the corner to hold up the ball. 
No miss. That's true. Miss. Really? How much longer is the grass in the corner? Is it like boggy? Quite, quite long. Quite long. Quite so, so what happens <laughs> is you put on your right foot, you ping it in there, you put a bit of backspin on it, it hits the long grass, it stops, and then Mickey Cheatham gets on the end of it and crosses it, or Phil Pop gets on the end of it and crosses it, and by that time, it gives us old men time to get in the box. <laughs> obviously, all that's all that. Give us another one, Josh. I'm yeah, he tactically repositioned the away team dugout. There you go. Unbelievable. Close, closer to the noise of our fans. Really? Closer to the noise of the intimidating main fans of Cambridge. Absolutely mental. <laughs> the, other thing, <laughs> the things that you might not know about, which yeah. are beneath the bowels of the main stand, is that when they turned up, if it was a sunny day, if it was a sunny day at Cambridge United, um, I don't know if you've ever been to Cambridge, but you go underneath the main stand and then you turn left into the dressing rooms under the man, under the main stand. Yeah. If it was a hot day, we'd make sure the windows couldn't open. Really? If it was a cold day, the windows would be open. <laughs> Honestly, all this is absolutely Brilliant. true. The other thing as well is um, we used to, back in the day, you used to get those big, massive tea urns where you can just massive silver, massive yeah, 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 yeah. industrial teapots. We'd make them a nice pot of tea but we'd put like two or three bags of sugar in it so that they'd get this <laughs> and then they'd crash you know, after about 15 minutes and we did that as well. One of the main things was we'd give them no hot water ever. Yeah. and the other thing as well, back in the day when you used to go play away games, the away team would give you a bag of balls to get warmed up with for the coaches. Yeah. Before they arrived, we would put all their balls in our big bath so they'd be absolutely heavy as anything. <laughs> and, put, and then we put them in a bag and give them to them. The bag, as you're dragging the bag down the corridor, it's dripping water. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they're smashing the ball, they're smashing the ball, they start playing with a light ball at the start of the game, the ball's going all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> He's a managerial genius though. This is like this is the marginal gains, right? It was it was horrible to watch. But if you're a football fan and your team's horrible to watch, however, getting results... And you don't care. Getting to the quarterfinal of the FA Cup and, and you're, I don't know, getting in the fourth division, third division. Fans ain't going to moan. They are not yeah. going to moan. And they didn't. Can I ask one more question? Did he throw buckets of cold water over you before the match? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Is, is that every game? Every game he's doing that? That was started by Chris Turner. Chris Turner started that. It was, a, it was an away game. It was, we travelled on the morning of the game. It was either Carlisle or Cardiff, I cannot remember. But it was the morning of the game. We travelled four or five hours. We got there, we were shattered. We'd been on the coach for this song. And we had to get straight off the coach and go play the game. So I'll get cold showers, lads, cold showers. Get in the cold. What do you mean cold showers? Get in the cold showers. I'm not doing the cold showers. You're not playing then. Uh, so you get in the cold shower. 10 seconds on, bam, cold. Like that, shaking away. And as you stepped out of the shower, there was somebody waiting with a cold bucket of cold water. Over your, over your oh. face. It, listen, it woke you up. It did the job, but, you know. A great period in the history of Cambridge United. It started when you get you scored the only goal in the playoff final in Division 4. What do you remember that day? Was that one of your greatest days in football, in a way? Yes, 100%. 100%. I, I do remember that the, the build-up was great. We, I think we got to train. I think we got to train a day or two days at the England... Burnham Beaches, I think it was called back then. Yeah. Uh, so we got to train there, which was amazing. That was quite special for us. First time at Burnham Beaches where they've been going, hit quality straight, get it yeah, down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the pitches are level all over the place. There's no, there's no grass in the corners or anything. Like that. You've got to pass no it. No good. No good. Put it in the corners. You, you put it into quality, you just ran out. Just ran out for a goal kick <laughs> every single time. But the, the experience at Wembley was 
amazing. You know, it was just I can't. That's my first taste of the big time, I suppose. Yeah. Playoff final, third division playoff final against Chesterfield, uh, Sean Dyche's mob, and uh, we won the game one nil. However, I remember Chrissy Ledbitter, you know, your hero yeah. there. Um, he he went over from left wing over to the right wing, took an in swinging corner with his left foot. Yeah. I was on the far post. Stevie Cloud is on the near post. So Stevie's wall, as, Steve, uh, as Chris is putting the ball down, he's getting himself ready and all that kind of stuff. Stevie comes to me and said, Dion, get yourself on the near post. I said, no, 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 no. I'm here, Stevie, I'm here. He said, Dion, get yourself on the near, because Stevie's a little bit older than me, so senior and all that kind of stuff. I said, Stevie, I'm staying here because this is my position. He said, fucking get on the near post. So Gaffer told you to get on the near, get on the near post. All right, so we're on the near post. Chrissy crosses it, near post, Bosch, Dublin, one nil. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> It's Cambridge's corner. And it'll be swung in by Ledbitter towards Dublin and Dion Dublin! Scores! 1-0 for Cambridge and Dion Dublin rising above the Chesterfield defence has got the goal. Could be so precious for Cambridge United's season. A firm header. The keeper had come off the line. And it went. And, and given what you would go on to achieve in your career, like, were you finding it easy? Like, like, was, it, was it clear to you that you were better than this level back then? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It wasn't, I don't think it was me as an individual that stood out. I think it was my goals. I think it was my goals that stood out. I was, you know, I was very, as I mentioned, Mickey Cheatham, uh, Lee Philpot mainly are the ones that, that just crossed it, just allowed me to, you know, Stay in the box. My job was easy. All I had to do is head it in left and right. <laughs> One of the things is you got two quarterfinals in the FA Cup in consecutive years. Do you think the teams higher up were scared of Cambridge? Was that how it was achieved? Yeah, I don't. I don't think they were scared of Cambridge. I think they were scared of coming to the Abbey. Right. <laughs> I think the Abbey was a horrible place to go. Not the most glamorous ground in the world back then. Uh, they they had. We knew we had a little bit of a reputation of having six or seven horrible people in the side that leave a bit on you and, you know, for scrap. Liam Dace was 60-40 to, to, to get to the ball first, but he made it a 50-50 or a 45-55 out of his favour. So, so just so he could lift people. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's what we really, we, we just loved the contact, you know. And, yeah. and it was just the way we were. And it's the way we won games, you know. People turned up at the Abbey and they thought... No, freezing in the dressing room. The balls, I've got a fix of sugar. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and, and, we, and, we, and we played an ugly game of football, you know, and our fans just made noise. It was just the fact of going to Cambridge United. People didn't like it. We half, we'd half won. Psychologically, we had an advantage. You, um, I, I was watching footage of when is February 91, you beat Sheffield Wednesday in the FA Cup. I don't know if you've watched this on YouTube. But I think I've got... I've got on beat him somewhere. <laughs> what happens is, so they show the highlights and then they cut back to Des in the Match of the Day studio and he's got <laughs> you and John Beck in the studio that evening. It might it might be the... I, I'll be honest, you haven't got the, the confidence in, in front of the camera that you've got these days, Dion. <laughs> Was that your first TV studio appearance? Do you remember it? Yes, I do remember it. I remember talking very quickly and very short answers and... Yeah, I left it to, to, to Becky to do most of the talking. 
but it wasn't it was scary having having just played the game and going on TV on a massive show like that it was it was kind of scary so that, that was my first big appearance how, how does it happen do they grab you after the game do they say oh fancy got a match of the day tonight how does it yeah, work well they, they they spoke spoke to Becky and Becky said listen we'd like you and Dion to come on and Becky said yes and then he said Dion you're going on it was very much a you're, you're doing as you're told and that's what it was back then and then you go up through the leagues and you're you're on the verge you get to the playoffs um you get straight pressure. Also, oh, so Beck turns down a job at Leicester, saying yeah. he wanted to take Cambridge into the Premier League. Did you believe in the dressing room this would happen? Uh, to to a certain degree, we did. But as we as we the more we played, the more we realised we were okay as footballers. We weren't allowed to show it because of the way that Becky wanted us to play. Mm. But we knew if the more we went, the higher we went up in standard of football, the cleverer the player was. And the more that they would know, right, okay, let's just stand in the corner of Quality Street because that's where it's going to go and then we'll just hit back and they'll nullify everything that Cambridge want to do. And the more we did it, the harder it went up, the more difficult it became. And we knew that we had to change it a little bit in order to play a bit through the middle or but Becky wasn't having it and it wouldn't change and we weren't allowed to do it. I remember Stevie Claridge. Stevie Claridge came off the bench one day and as a winger, what you had to do, a right winger like Stevie Claridge, as we know, Stevie Claridge always wanted to drop his left shoulder, come on his right, get a shot off or cross it. This one day, he's going down the right wing. You weren't allowed to come inside, by the way. Down the outside all the time. Down the outside. Dropped his right shoulder, came inside, beat his man, had a shot on goal, made the keeper make a save. Brilliant. Fans. Well done, Stevie. Off. Off. <laughs> off. <laughs> Honestly, he got, he, got, he got brought on and brought off because he went inside. Wow. So he kept, it was absolutely seething. See, <laughs> how do you think it would have gone if you you got to the playoffs? You lost to Leicester in the playoffs. What do you think it would have been like that Cambridge team in the Premier League? I think we would have held our own for a little while, yeah, and then had to change. But I think the initial shock to the big league of yeah. us being there and playing the way we played, I think we'd have had some success because yeah. they. How do you how do you handle this? How can you keep doing it and not yeah. change? We know what you're doing, but if you know what you're doing and you get it right, there's no way to stop it. Do you remember? I remember you were you were like a big name, you, and there was fuss around you before you moved to Man U. And I remember this because I remember Cambridge playing Plymouth, and this would have been in what is now the Championship. And yeah. I remember it was a Tuesday night game, and I remember getting your autograph on my program. And I was so excited no because I was way. like, "Yeah, I remember." <laughs> I remember there was huge fuss. I was like, "That guy's going to be apparently going to be a big deal," and he was. Do you remember me? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you like small, small little ginger guy. That's mental. That's crazy, man. That's amazing. Was that at Plymouth? It was at Home Park. Yeah. Wow. I think I you won one but- nil. And uh, yeah, it would have been presumably the season you made the playoffs, or was it? Did you say a season after the playoffs as well? Yes, because the, the, the Wembley appearance against Chesterfield was 1990. Yeah. And then I think it was 91. Right. It was 91, yeah. then 92, I went to United. Like, like Josh says, there was such a big deal of fuss around you. You actually had a choice. You had, was it Chelsea, Everton, and Man United to choose from? So were they all caught in you? Well, they, I went to see, I went to speak to all of them. I went wow. to speak to all of them. So there was uh, geographically, obviously, um, I went Chelsea first. 
and then I went to Everton, I went to United. So I went down to uh, Chelsea first, um, and Ian Porterfield was a manager. Went straight yeah. to Stamford Bridge. He had an office at Stamford Bridge. Table of 10, round table of 10. Nine, nine members of staff sat there. What? One spare seat. That was it. So he's there. He's the head of the table. I turn up, sit in that spare chair. He basically said, over half an hour, 45 minutes, I want to build a team around you. I want you to be my number nine for Chelsea. I love Carling up. That's amazing. That's incredible. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you very much. I'll get back in touch with you. Went up the M6 straight to Everton, spoke to um, uh, Howard Kendall, God rest his soul, and chatted to him. He went straight to the fridge at the training ground. <laughs> <laughs> the champagne. Honestly, poured the champagne. He said, there you go, big man. There you go, there you go. Cheers, good to see you, about. And he said, Dion, I need you to come to Everton. We haven't got a centre forward like you. I want to build a team around you. Fantastic. Great. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it. I'll let you know. Then I went to Old Trafford. Now, this is the difference between Sir Alex Ferguson, psychologically, and, most, and, and any other manager that I've ever met or any other manager I know about. Sir Alex Ferguson said to the agents, you, you lot go and just talk. Just go and talk. Go upstairs and do I'll speak to the big man. So just me and him. He put his arm around me. He walked me through the main stand, under the main stand, through the through the um, through the laundry, everything, through the canteen, the lot, and back then the tunnel where he came out was in between the dugouts, right in the centre of the pitch. He took me through there, came out through the tunnels. I, I've seen this stadium just appear. I've gone up the bank, Old Trafford, and walked down the centre line to the centre spot. So he he took his arm off me. He walked out the centre circle, and he sort of shouted to me while I was in the centre spot on my own. How do you fancy playing here once a fortnight? Oh, nice. Oh, wow. And were you looking around going, where's the quality street side? <laughs> <laughs> Why is the grass running in the corners? What's going on? And, and you know what? It's like, uh, you know, it, back then it was back then it was the bowl. It was a 50,000-seater stadium. Yeah. And that is just, unfortunately for the rest of the team, it's a no-brainer. Man United, very clever man. And £1 million. What was the difference? Did it feel like a huge change from John Beck to Alex Ferguson? <laughs> It was. It must have taken me a good, no exaggeration, three, four, even five months to settle down, to realise where I was. Because when you first go in in your first training session and you sit down and you sit next to Paul Ince and Brian Robson and Mark Hughes and Gary Palace and Steve Bruce and Peter Schmeichel, uh, I'd only seen them on the TV. I don't, and, and, I'm, and I'm playing with these guys, walking oh, out onto yeah. the training pitch, it's like... And what happens every, every, every time you get... Well, in my era, when you sign for a new football club, you always get tested. Yeah. And there's always one midfield player that will always bobble a ball into you or ping it really hard and say, let's see how good you are then. Hey, come to Man United, let's see how good you are. I've got a big pally behind me, kicking lumps out of me in training. And Keane is bobbling these balls in to me and uh, I'm thinking to myself, Brian Robson's chipping it in, making smashed and all that kind of stuff. But I'm holding it up. I'm really working hard. That's when they gain your trust. That's when they gain your trust. That's when they can go past their midfield player and gamble. When they've got your trust, oh, we can do it, so I can play my natural game. So that's when the trust happened at Villa with Steve Staunton. Same there's, thing. There's a lot of hard men in that Man U team. You're Brian Robson, Peter Schmeichel's an intimidating figure, Bruce yeah. and Pallister, uh, Paul Ince, obviously. If there was a, a fight between the Man U team you joined and the Cambridge team you left, <laughs> who are you backing? I'm going to Cambridge United all day long. Really? <laughs> all day, all day long, all day long. 
The days you'll deal with four, that only leaves Man <laughs> United outnumbered. So uh, we had, we had um, I mean, good scrappers. Mark Hughes was a very... Oh, yeah, a, of course, as well. He was a silent, hard man. And like you mentioned, the, the, the seniors there, Pally would never back down. Bruce was a hard man as well. So, yeah, we, we had some, some very, very good world-class players, but below the surface as well, if it kicked off, it kicked off once, which was which was very very memorable. By the what way, was uh, what was that? Oh, yeah, was that the Arsenal one? Oh no no no, that was this, this is this is this this never got out. <laughs> this yeah. never got out, right? But it, I'm going to tell you, this is an oh wow. wow, to your podcast. This never got out. Won the league in 1992. Yeah, Brian Robson organised a trip to Chester Races. So we go to Chester Races. Have a great day, blah 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 blah. We're all pissed. This is like this is like the end of a week celebration of the you know been on yeah. our open top bus and we, you know we're lagging now. Drinking is not a problem. We've had six days of it. Seventh day doesn't matter. Not even touching us. So we go to the races. We have a great day at the races and then we go out in Chester. Now I don't remember the hotel, but I remember going into this hotel and there's like a two sweeping staircases that goes to a balcony. And underneath the top of the balcony is where you go into the bar area. So it's a big old hotel, but it had bar area, um, nightclub area stuff. We walk into this, Eric's there, Schmeichel's there, Ince's there. We walk in and we realised that there was Liverpool fans about. <gasps> Liverpool fans realised it was Man United that had come in. So they started spitting on us. Oh, man. Oh, man. Eric's got the shortest fuse in the world. And Eric's got like, and looked up there, and that's it, ran back. And you've got Man United players running back towards the front door, up the stairs. It's like a cowboy fight. Oh, oh man. It's like a cowboy fight. Me and Sharpie ended up chasing some uh, fans down the road. We ended up fighting outside, me and Sharpie, <laughs> with two guys. I'm getting chinned, me getting chinned, I'm getting chinned. Like, honestly, wow. I, I did, we had this ball for about two or three minutes, and then we all turned up. We said, look, we better go, because it's not going to be great. And we went to another bar, and, People oh, wow. So they cut some bruises and stuff. So that's what happened when we were out in Chester. <laughs> and it never, came, it never came out? Well, until today. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Amazing. You, may, you mentioned Harry Cantona there. Obviously, when you first joined Man United, you're in the team, but then you break your leg in September and you're out for a long time. And in that time, Eric Cantona signed. Well, what a frustrating start, really. Well, the start was great because I my Old Trafford start was terrible but my start was great because I scored at Southampton on my very first game um, we played Southampton on the Monday we travelled to Southampton on the Sunday overnight game on the Monday I missed the flight on the Sunday not not great start with Sir Alex how did you miss I'm, the flight because they said listen what we'll do we'll meet at I don't know half twelve meet at half twelve we'll fly down where would you go if they said to you we'll meet at half twelve where would you go as a Man United player Old Trafford Stadium. Old Trafford. I went to Old Trafford. They they got picked up somewhere else, but I didn't know this. Anyway, oh. they went, long story short, they went on the Sunday. I flew Monday morning and um, got dogs abused by the lads. They, they threw bread buns at me at uh, pre-match. Oh, big time now, eh? Sorry for United. <laughs> and then, um, and then we, um, he said to me, Dion, you're going to be starting tonight. You know, you've got the number seven shirt. Did if you knew that, but I didn't know wow. seven, which was which was history in itself. And then I played and we won the game one 0 and that's how my sort of career started. I thought to myself, I've repaid the manager, missed the flight, scored the goal, won one 0 And then we had, I'm pretty sure we played either Sheffield United or Forest. And then my very first game at Old Trafford, 
about 60 minutes in. Remember, it's clear as day. Ball got played out to me. Centre centre circle, Man United half. Received the ball, went to turn away. And as I went to turn away, my left foot was still in the ground. And I everything everything moved but my ankle. Because oh. I had a scissor tackle from behind. Eric Young. Eric, Eric Young. Young. Yeah, big, big yeah. Um, Welsh geezer. Had the, um, sort of the, yeah. the ninja headband on. He was called yeah. the ninja. Fucking got me that day, the bastard. And, <laughs> and it was, and it was um, just, just that was it. Really, pure pain. Oh. Broke my, dislocated my tib. Broke my fib. Oh, no, my it really, that was it. And then they signed some French geezer from Leeds. Who was that? Oh my! <laughs> no oh, way back man. to it, I'm afraid, because they had Eric, Mark Hughes, Brian McClare, Scholes. He was set, a centre forward back then, and then there yeah. was me. No way back for me, really. One of the players you mentioned is Mark Hughes. One thing that's come up on this podcast a lot is things people always used to say about Mark Hughes was that he was a specialist at volleying the ball. Correct. Which we, what? Why was he? We didn't realise this was such a thing that one player could be a specialist in. Why was he so good at the ball in the air? Because because most training sessions you would have uh, Brian Kidd who was there. Yeah. Brian Kidd's a left footer, uh, which makes a difference when I explain. He'd go on the left wing. And he would cross 20, 30 balls for Sparky to the edge of the D, out swingers, and Sparky would have to let him come across his left shoulder and volley with his right. That was his favourite yeah. his favorite volley. A bit like that Paul Skull's uh, uh, corner routine. Absolutely. Great, great striking off the bar. Yeah. And Sparky was the forte at that. And he would stay out for uh... a good half an hour, 40 minutes, just doing that. <laughs> just, just volley all the time. Too high, yeah. he'd go on his side and he'd volley it on the side. Or he perfected it. He perfected oh. how to strike the ball coming over his left shoulder onto yeah. his right. Just and that's how you become good. And at the other end, at the other end, at the cliff behind the goal at the cliff was the gym. So yeah. there was a wall behind the goal. So it was a perfect place to practice your free kicks. Yeah. If you miss the ball, just hit the wall and come straight back to you. So Dennis Irwin, Bex, Giggs, and Eric were at the other end. With another keeper. That's why those. That's why they ah, were. wow! And they were just all staying behind. Repetition, repetition, all the time. So I just started to copy what Mark Hughes did. I, thought, he? I better practice my heading. I better practice. <laughs> and I did. He just copied yeah. the leaders. You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At the end of your Man U career, in December 93, Everton agreed to buy you, and then it's, a, it's about to go through. A director vetoes it, and Kendall resigns over this. What was your kind of role with all this? How did you hear about this? I did hear about it, and I think it was... I was I was ready. I was I was happy, and I spoke to um, Howard beforehand, and he said, the other one, the second time, I think, of trying. Second time of trying. And he said, yeah, 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 great, great, great. And then the higher off, he said, no, no, no. Did but you get another bottle of, another glass of champagne? I think it was Prosecco this time. To be <laughs> <laughs> they lost a few quid with Prosecco. So he, um, he, he, he said, yeah, I want you, I want you. I said, yes, okay, that's cool by me. And then I, th- I think the second time they tried to get me, he was so upset that he, he resigned. He resigned and said, listen, if you're not going to back my judgment, I'm out of here, man. I'm out of here. So- How did you feel? Um, I felt gutted for him because it would have been a great move for me as well. It would have been a great move for me. And he was wholeheartedly, you know, if somebody tries to get you twice, it's like, wow. And then he said, he said, no, I'm not going to, not going to do it. And then they just, he binned it. He said, no, I forget it then. But it means you moved to Coventry, which is a good club to join, particularly the time. Two million fee. So you've, you've doubled in value in your time at Man U <laughs> with your broken leg. I was going to mention it, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> How was it swapping Alex Ferguson for Phil Neal? Um, different, because Phil Neal is possibly alongside Gordon Strachan. Phil Neal's the best five-a-side and eight-a-side player in training I've ever seen in my life. Really? Even at that? Even at that age. But having played for Liverpool and won everything that he won, all he did is just keep the ball. He never gave it away. Yeah. We under so much pressure, but he just bounced it and then get the one-two. And we, how do you do that? It's because his first twitch was that good. He he bought himself so much time, you know. Yeah. And just he was amazing. Gordon Strachan was the opposite. I was fast and quick and quick. Everything's got to be quick. And Gordon Strachan was great at it as well. Yeah. But that's just the quality of player that we were coached by. Yeah. And that's why we got better. Phil Neal was great. Didn't last too long, unfortunately. And then I think um, I think Ron, big Ron, yeah. yeah, yeah, Ron came in, which was completely different. What was that well, like? What's the difference? Yeah, what's the difference? Completely different. Ron was, you know, we know about Ron. He's got the bracelets on and you know collars up and just bulbs in today. All right, lads, how's it going? Yeah, and we play eight sides. And Ron, you know, he was a little bit chunky. The gaffer back then, he was a little bit chunky. And what he would do. Gordon Strachan would go out there because he was coach. He'd go out, Gordon, and he would he would put on this session. He would put the cones out. He'd be there at half eight. Eight aside over there. Keep ball over there. Running session over there. Wait so it was just meticulous. Everything was... The cones had a distance between them. Every cone had a distance. Ready to go. Everything bibs are out a lot. Came out, Ron Atkinson. He'd do the warm-up. Ron, uh, Ron Atkinson would come out. He'd come out. He'd have his uh, predators on. Remember the Predators were a little bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'd have Predators on his, his shorts, socks rolled down, and he'd say, right, let's have an eight side, let's have an eight side, let's have an eight side. And Gordon's gone, gaff, I've done. Come on. And he'd kick the cones away, and he said, come on. <laughs> I, honestly, 
let's have an eight aside. Let's have an eight aside. And before the game started, he went, uh, I'm going to be Ginola today. I'm going to be Ginola. <laughs> <laughs> and he would shout out, find your best player, find your best player. And that's what, and that's what he was like. He was just oh, very, wow. eight aside, eight aside. He was just very sort of chilled out. He was very much a man manager. He knew how to speak to players. He knew how to make you feel a million yeah. dollars. He knew how to get the best out of the person. Whereas Gordon was coach, he'd get the best out of the player. Was that the most fun you had playing under Ron? Loads of fun. Loads yeah. of fun playing under Ron. I like boundaries. I like uh, a way of working when it comes to football. Freedom on the pitch. Freedom on the pitch. But I don't like, you know, if you have to come to work and I've got this, this T-shirt on, everybody has to wear this T-shirt. I don't want a blue yeah. T-shirt or a yellow T-shirt. Everybody has to wear it. If you're on there at half 12, get there at 20 past 12. You know, that, that was my mindset. And it was the mindset of uh, Gordon, the mindset of Georgie Botang and, uh, and, and Gary McAllister and Roland Nielsen, you know, all these yeah. proper players, you know. That, that is possibly one of the strongest dressing rooms. Not so much the you know, physical element, but the, just the mentality of it and the play yeah. quality that we had. That's one of the strongest I've ever been in. Yeah, you, you, I mean, some of the characters you named there, throw into that Noel Whelan, John Solarco, Darren Huckabee. Yeah. Um, I want to pick up on Noel Whelan. We've interviewed a few ex-Coventry City players and Noel Whelan's name comes up a lot. It, was he a bit mad? Yeah, he was. He was. <laughs> Noel Whelan's nickname was Snowy. Whichever club he went to, he settled well. <laughs> and that's just what it was. Snowy's, Snowy's best pal at the, at the club was Paul Telfer. Now, Paul Telfer, the right-back, he was like perpetual motion. He would just, it doesn't matter. You, you could have been on the night out with Paul Telford the night before. Could have been steaming on the night out. We won on the Saturday. We're out Saturday night. Sunday, he would just be drinking. Bam. Next morning. Doesn't matter. He had no weight on him whatsoever. He was just incredible. Incredibly fit. Unfortunately, Snowy wasn't that way. Noel Whelan couldn't do it. He could do the drink, but he couldn't do the training. On this particular night, they went out for a few beers in Leamington Spa. And, um, had a few beers. It's now late. It's early morning, one, two in the morning. There's a place called the Parade in Leamington Spa where all the shops are and a couple of bars and stuff. Snowy decides to do something really stupid. And this is what he did a lot. Anything to make him look hard, he would try and do. He tried to kick a window in. You know those big, massive... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like double glade, like... Massive windows, you know, WAC, the club, club, club. I don't know what window it was, but he kicked it and he wouldn't go in. And he kept trying, he kept trying. Unfortunately, he got through this window in the end put his foot through the window. So this is the bottom of his foot. He put it through the window and went down. And it just, oh his Achilles just went. Oh, that was it. That was it. And he didn't, realize, oh my. didn't realize that he'd done it. And he, and he, and he feels his, his foot was all warm and it was just squelching oh and my. all this kind of stuff. Oh my, oh my God. He'd done his, he'd done his Achilles operation, rehab, Gordon Strang said, listen, you are coming to live with me. Gordon Strachan, this is a true story. You're coming to live with me. I need to keep an eye on you. I want you in by 10 every night. You're not going anywhere until you're better. Rehab with me. I don't trust you. All right, Gaffer, no problem. So on this particular night, sat in Gordon's lounge, Snowy's watching the TV thinking, he said, Gaffer, can I go, can I go to the cinema? Is it okay to go to the cinema? He said, well, where do you want to go? Just Leamington. You know, just Leamington where the, um, where the Tempin Bowling is. No problem at all. But make sure you're back after the cinema. No problem, boss. So he goes to the cinema, out. Gordon's saying to his, uh, to his missus, to his wife, should we go to the cinema? Not knowing where Snowy was going, so they go to the same cinema. 
So now he's at the front, right at the front. Gordon's at the back of the lower part of the cinema. And he's at the back and he's gone like that. Gordon sat with his missus there and he's gone, hey, I think that's, that's Snowy down there. Snowy down there, I'm going to say hello. So Snowy sat at the front of the cinema like this. Gaffer goes down, he goes, Snowy. Goes like that. Snowy is sat with the goalkeeper's missus. <gasps> no. So Snowy oh. now sat with the goalkeeper's missus. The gaffer's gone, fucking hell, that's fucking, that's, that's, that, that, that. Yo, gaffer, you know, it's not like that, gaffer, it's not like that. No, you home. It's not like that, gaffer, let me explain. No, 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 no. What the gaffer didn't know is that the goalkeeper's missus had a twin sister. <laughs> <laughs> Twins sister? The gaffer went, no way. honestly, true, true story. True story. Absolutely wow. Mental. <laughs> oh my God. That's nothing incredible. wrong at all. He just. <laughs> Let me explain. <laughs> let's, um, let's talk about a different gaffer. So, because you, I mean, you play for England under Glenn Hoddle, make your debut under Glenn Hoddle. Mm. Um, if Phil Neal was the best eight aside player, we've heard from a few people that Glenn Hoddle in training was a bit of a show off with his skills. Is that fair to say? Um, he was he was a show-off without realising that he was that Right, yeah. So he wasn't intentionally showing off. He was just that good. He made everybody else look really poor. Yeah. Even to this day, I don't know if, if the gaffer was left-footed or right-footed. I have no idea. <laughs> was he just in the most talented player you could... Yeah, yeah. He was just... When it comes to two-footed players, he's... Him and Dennis Irwin, are the, I, I, again, I don't know what De Dennis Irwin kicks with because he took penalties left and right, free kicks left and right. Yeah. I don't know. The, the, reason, the, the reason why I know that the gaffer's left and right footed and I still don't know is because after training on, on England duty once, we were all sat on the pitch with John Gorman yeah. doing stretches on the pitch. And I think the keeper, might be Nigel Martin, had got injured. So he pulled Shaka, Shaka Hislop from the 21s into the right, pod yeah. because they were checking on Nigel's fitness. I think it was Nigel. Yeah. And while we're doing our stretches, Shaka's there and the gaffer's just pinging balls into him. He's got 10 balls on the uh, on the corner of the D on the right and 10 balls on the corner of the D on the left. And the gaffer's just, and he's got a few in the middle. So he's pinging the ones down the middle. So Shaka's warming up, catching him, bam, bam, bam. And then he said, well, I'm going to try and bang him in the corners now, Shaka. And the gaffer went from the D, top corner, from the D, top corner. Shaka's done. About, mate, he's diamond up, he's waving to his family in the crowd. Hello, hello, he's getting nowhere near these free kicks at all. And Glenn's just popping him in the corner, tapping, oh, wow. tapping his toe down, banging it in the corner, <laughs> toe down. And it was just, it, we were like this, oh, no, oh no, it was just Shaq is trying to get this, he can't get there. Gaff was outstanding. It's amazing, isn't it? Did he ever discuss with you that he was one of the main critics of John Beck when he was the Swindon manager? Did that ever come up? No way, I never knew that. Yeah. When I was reading up on Cambridge, Cambridge's uh, style, one of the main critics was Glenn Hoddle, as you can imagine. Yeah, well, he was, he was at Swindon for a while, wasn't he, Glenn? Yeah, yeah, when he was at Swindon, yeah. And I think we played against Swindon a couple of times, and I think we, we may have beaten we may we may have beat them physically, beat them up, and we may have beat them uh, by the scoreline as well, so that's probably what he didn't like. And I think he was frustrated because John Beck was a player back in the day. When he was at... Right, oh, yeah. John Beck was... A player like Glenn Hoddle, nowhere near the standard. Yeah. He used to pass and get it back, and he's, he was amazing. 
it's, it's often the way with that. It's like George Graham was a very silky player, yeah. and then he'd go. Um, it happens. It happens. It's just maybe maybe you can coach better that way. You know. Yeah. I was wanted to ask 97 98 18 league goals for Coventry City just in outstanding form and obviously you're in the the long list for the World Cup squad but infamously yourself and Gaza are uh, two of the, the people that are cut what are your memories of that day those conversations with Glenn Hoddle in the hotel room vivid very vivid really? Gaza was in there before me so was it all smashed what? up when oh, you went in yeah it was it was oh man oh man because it was it was Incy me Gaza and we were all sat in the hallway, in the hallway of a hotel. Our rooms were opposite each other, but we all sat in the hallway because we were just chatting and just thinking, what are you going to get through? What are you going to get through? Incy went in first, and then I get up to go. Incy comes out, I get up to go. Gaz said, D, hey, can I go, big man? I can't I can't wait any longer. You're not Gaz, oh, I'm patient. You just want to get stuff done. He goes in, and obviously, you know, things didn't go well, and the gaffer said, obviously, you're not going. And we heard a bit of crash, bang, wallop, Glenn Roder. God rest his soul. He went in there as well. John Gorman went in there and it was all over the place. Gaza comes out, he's sobbing, you know, he's just... Oh, man. You were outside the door. You were hearing this oh, unfold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, outside. man. So, you know, pots hitting against the wall and all that kind of stuff. And he was just, he was just devoted because he knew that was, that was it. You know, that was yeah. the Gaza. He was, he was, he was the best player at that time, naturally, bar none. He really was. And the gaffer just, he said no. And it's like, wow, what a decision to make that is. I go in and I'm kind of stepping over plant pot, overturned <laughs> chairs. And... Oh, my God. <laughs> was Kenny G still playing? Because <laughs> that was apparently one of the calming was tactics, game. wasn't it? So I go in, I sit opposite the gaffer, and the gaffer's, you know, he just said, listen, D, sorry about what happened. Sorry about the state of the room, but I'm going to be straight with you. He said, listen, this is the hardest decision. I'm, I'm going to tell you sincerely, this is the hardest decision for me. Not the Gazeron, yours, because I've got a seven and a half. I've got two players in one. However, I need more pace going as a centre forward. Obviously, I wasn't the quickest. So he ended up taking Les over me, which I didn't mind, to be fair, because, you know, he is Sir Les in our, in our eyes. And um, he took Les instead. So myself, Gaza, Butty, Phil Neville, Andy Hinchcliffe, and I think it was um, um, Ian Walker. And did you, are you all then on a plane together back? Yeah. Oh, man. You get picked, you go right. You don't get picked, you go left. Oh, mate. So you go left, oh. go left. Six of us go left. There's a people carrier waiting, literally engine running. All of them oh, already. Because well, everybody had to pack their bags because nobody knew. Nobody knew. Yeah. So bags are in, <clears throat> and then in a people carrier, Gaza's just crying, crying. He was just, Gaza was devil. We were all just trying to look after Gaza. We kind of accepted it. I actually said to the gaffer, listen, I appreciate it, gaffer. I had a great time. Thank you very much for picking me. I wish you all the best. They were kind of the words I said. And then, you know, we had to sort of deal with Gaza because he was, you know, he's an emotional wreck at the time. And yeah, hard to, diff- hard to, to deal with Gaza. It really was. Oh, but you, did you not think of the injustice? Like you scored 18 league goals for, like, for Coventry. You'd been on fire that whole year. I know, yeah. There, there was, there was, obviously, when the World Cup starts, you think, you know, I'm, I mean. Did you watch it? Yeah, I, I was in, I was in, um, I was in San, uh, San Pedro, Estepona, Port Benus area at the time. And I remember going to Port Benus because Stevie Watson, I think, Remember Stevie Watson played for yeah, Newcastle. Newcastle and stuff. He was there, and I think Tomo was there, Alan Thompson, left-footed Alan Thompson. And I think we were all in a bar, and 
we didn't know we were on, in the same area. We went to the bar, we watched the game. Yeah, and I was just having a beer rather than having a milkshake. You know what I mean? It was it was devastating. When, when he started, that's when it really hit home. That could have been you that scored that Michael Owen goal. That, yeah. in, in another world, that was you that, that skinned your way through the Argentina team <laughs> and pinged it in the top corner. And raced I, off. I wanted Michael to go wide and cross it, and then I'd have headed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's Aston Villa is uh, where you go from Coventry. So that was autumn 1998. 5.75 million. It's always big, increasing in value. Yeah. Some big money. That's, that's homes under the hammer to a T, isn't it? Always increasing. Well, once you get Dion Dublin, you, you just you know flip him and sell him on for a bit more. That's how it works. The older you, the older it gets, the more value will get you back, mate. It's simple as that. <laughs> as long as you're patient, you'll be okay. It was um, it was a strange one because the, the the chairman at the time was gosh, I forget his name. Doug Ellis. No, 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 no. You're talking. I'm talking the Coventry chairman. Oh, Coventry chairman. But, uh, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, the Coventry chairman wanted me to go to Blackburn. I suppose he went back and Gordon said, listen, Dion, I've got a new contract for you. Are you happy? Yes, gaffer. Four years? Yes, gaffer. Give you a pay rise? Brilliant, gaffer. I'll sign. This is what we said. And then the, the chairman wanted me to go to Richardson, his name was, wanted me to go to Blackburn for 6.7. I've gone, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm fine, thank you. He said, I want you to go to have a chat with Blackburn. I said, don't want to go. Long and short of it is I didn't go to Blackburn. Ended up going to Villa 5.7. And the fans are thinking, oh, I can't believe he's gone to our rivals. But they didn't know that I'd, you know, turned down Blackburn and organised a four, a four-year deal with Gordon Strack and word of mouth. And it went a bit, it went a bit ugly in the end. And the chairman was saying this, and the chairman was saying that. He only wants to go to for Villa to make a few quid and all that kind of. So it got a bit ugly. God. Yeah, um, that was unnecessary. And then I ended up going to Villa. Um, John Gregory took me to Villa. What was John Gregory like? He looked like a lot of fun. John was exactly that. He was exactly that. John was a lot of fun. Very chilled out manager. Um, he, had, he had an edge to him, but yeah. as a bloke, loved his music, so he was always playing the guitar. He loved Springsteen. Always yeah. Playing the guitar in his office at the, at, the, uh, at the training ground. He always playing his guitar. And um, he was very relaxed. I loved John Gregory because he used to give me loads of time off. <laughs> <It's> absolutely... <laughs> He loved it. We'd play on a Saturday. I say, I'll see you Wednesday, big man. Thank you very much, boss. <laughs> and I would, uh, you know, I'm getting a bit older now, and I'd, I'd go. I'd go. I had a place in, in in Spain then, so I'd go to Spain for three or four days and come back on, on oh, wow. or whatever it was, and just and train. But no, it was it was again again the the the, the, the quality that we had at Villa, the quality we had yeah. along with Man United in regards to the players, the individuals was possibly one of the highest we had with Paul Merson, Gareth Southgate, Ginola, Peter Schmeichel, David James, the quality of player. Then you have the kids, that we used to call the kids, Gareth Barry, Crouchy, Darius Vassell, Lee Hendry, you know, James Samuel, God rest his soul, my very good friend, but he was there too. So, so many, Hugo Ekiod, God rest his soul again. Why have I lost so many people? That was, that's what upsets me, do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Young kids, young kids as well. But the quality was like, wow. Yeah, that's a hell of a squad, isn't it? We won the Intertoto Cup. You took uh, Villa to their first FA Cup final in 43 years, the last at Wembley, isn't it, in 2000. Oh, I wondered what kind of state was Wembley in at that point, right at the end there? It was still, it was still, because it was Wembley, it was still, you know, it's very much 
very much like Old Trafford is now. Old Trafford needs to be, you know, refreshed. It needs a few quid spending on it. But they know that and they've got to do it at the right time. Wembley at that time was the same. It still held this, wow, it's Wembley. When you walk out of that tunnel, you're in an FA Cup final against Chelsea. It was the worst FA Cup final in history. It was terrible. Full house, <laughs> they beat us 1-0. I think I think Di Matteo might have scored the goal, and it was you know the build-up was great, the game wasn't great, and then we had a massive party afterwards. We were just awful, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, oh man, it was awful. Game. But oh. let's focus on one very quick positive before we go to our listeners' questions, which is people say you didn't play in a major international tournament, but they forget the King Hassan the Second International Cup. <laughs> Do you wake up at night regretting that France beat England to the trophy on goals scored? I actually, I actually, in that competition, played against, I think it was Belgium. I think it was England versus Belgium. I came off the bench as a centre-half, and we yeah. played against, I played against two two twins called the Impenza twins. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They, they, they all had the braids, and they were, they were lively as anything, and I came on and had to mark them at centre-half. So I played centre-half and centre-forward for England oh, in wow. the King Hussein Cup let me tell you and the cap that I've got has got the King Hussein Cup on it as well let me tell you oh it's wow. <laughs> <laughs> a very important tournament of course, yeah. of course it is at home next to your Intertoto Cup is that absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> now, they, they are listen little little things like those little memories and stuff stuff that you never forget that sort of I don't know it's sort of it's you you know it's stuff that you remember and never forget and the achievements that you have albeit into Toto Cup, third division playoffs, all those things, I will never, ever forget them because when I was a nine, back to the start, when I was nine, none of that was possible back then. 22 years as a pro, 14 operations. So, you know. And a, and a broken neck as well. I remember it was in the paper, when that happened, it was in the papers like, you were going to, your career was over, it seemed like. Yeah. Three months later, you're back. How, how does that even work? That, I don't know. I, I, I genuinely don't know how it works. And, and here, they, they, went through, they went through there. I've got a scar, and they went through the front of my neck there, so I didn't have a scar at the back of my neck. So um, how it happened was I break my neck on the, on the pitch. Long story short, I break my neck. I go off. The physio says, right, Dion, what's you, you, wrong? I said, no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. And I've insisted, I'm okay. No, Jim, I'm okay. Jim Walker knows the situation, right? And he knows, he'll be, yeah, he'll be off in 15 seconds. So I run back on the pitch, straight back off again. Jim says, get off, get off. So I come off, they put a, a hardboard behind my back. So I'm stood up and they put a hardboard and then they just lower me back onto a golf cart. This must have taken 15 minutes. Game's finished. I'm still getting my head and chin and everything strapped to this hard wall. So oh, my through. word. And then they, they lower me back onto the golf buggy. Because the whistle's gone, I can go directly, uh, diagonally across the pitch, straight behind the goal, up the hill into the, um, um, the first aid area. So I've gone there. I thought Villa Park was like a carpet. When you've broken your neck and you're going across it in a buggy, your head's like that. Not <laughs> <laughs> as fast as I thought. So this is what happened. Jim McGregor diagnosed me, took me across golf buggy into the back. And then I've got Dr. Barry Smith. And I'm on this hardboard and it's very, very painful at the time. And I've been, I've been there for 35 minutes, 40 minutes, 50. I said, Doc, come on, Doc, I'm in some pain here. He said, Dion, I cannot allow you to go to hospital until I find Mr. Andre Jakowski. 
I can't allow you to have operation until I find this surgeon. And he ran and he ran and he ran. And then he got Mr. Andre Joukowsky, who was a young Polish, I think it was Polish, young, um, 43, 33. I don't know what he was, but he was young. He was a lot younger than me. And I'm thinking, wow. And I'm now thinking, Doc, please. And he said, I found him, hospital, bam, there you go. So Jim Walker got me on the board. Dr. Barry Smith made sure that I had the only surgeon that he would allow me to get operated by. Dr. Andre Joukowsky operated on me. Cut me open here. I crushed C5. So C5 is there. So four and six were touching. So they lifted four and six. They cut me on the hip, took some bone off my hip, built a new five, put them together, and then put um, a plate in, which sort of went uh, screw there, screw there, screw there, and screw there. And that's still in here now, the metal plate. Oh, wow, so that, That's it. It's, it's titanium, so it doesn't beep when I go through the uh, the airport. <laughs> that's, well, that's, that's useful. I mean, what a career. It's been an absolute joy, Dion, genuinely. I've never known an interview where I've thought none of this is going to be edited out. This is all <laughs> it. We always end with <laughs> the same question, gold. which is if you go back to 1990, January the 1st, and press a button to do it all again, would you? Uh, yes, I would. I would. Yeah. I would, because uh, you've got to be lucky enough to be able to... One of the biggest... The biggest period in the whole of my career was the time you sign on the dotted line as a professional. It's very, very odd that the, yeah. the, the, the paper I signed was pink. I was at Norwich City and I signed this piece of paper and it meant that I was getting 80 pounds a week as back, I was thinking I was 17 and you've just turned pro. That means you haven't got to work anymore. You, you, all you got to do is turn up for training and just kick a ball about. That was it. And let me tell you this before I go. So I signed for Norwich City. And my brother, Ash, he's a DJ at Great Yarmouth. Quite a, big, right. quite a big DJ in Great Yarmouth. And he lived above a bar in Great Yarmouth. That's where he lived, above a pub. Uh, the nightclub was next door where he worked, but he lived above a pub called Boobs in, on the on the seafront <laughs> sea in Great Yarmouth. So I'm living with, uh, with my brother. And my brother, his best mate was a drummer. Right, my brother's a bass player, so they played they yeah. the same band. He happened to be a model, and he happened to be a highboard diver for Great Britain. <laughs> now an A-list star. He's an A-list film star. He wasn't then, but he is now. So I lived for eight months with my brother and Jason Statham. No what? way! <laughs> <laughs> Come on! That Honestly, is incredible. It was mental because my brother... <laughs> On a Saturday night, I've had a game on the Saturday. I'm going out as Jason Statham's sidekick. <laughs> it was, it was crazy. I mean, he was the same, completely chiselled. Good bloke, good bloke. Oh, Dion, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for doing it. It's a pleasure, guys. This has been good for. Sorry, sorry it's taking so long. I apologise. Oh but... no, it's been a joy. Thanks so much. Pleasure, guys. Thank you. Take care. There we go, Dion Dublin. If you want more of that, go to anotherslice.com forward slash quickly Kevin. There's more where that came from. Quick quiz before we end? Let's do it. Okay. In honour of that uh, quiz, we're going to, in honour of the uh, Roger Miller fact earlier, we're going to do a quick game of starting 11. Cameroon versus England, 1990. Do you remember the score? 3-2 to England? Yeah. Yeah, obviously. How are you feeling about that as a fixture, guys? Good with England. Fairly strong about England. Yeah, Cameroon. <laughs> I think 
maybe three. Two, three. two and a punt. Well, remember, you can't have subs as well. So Miller is out of the equation. Well, you can to buy time. You can to buy time. Okay, Michael, if you'd like to start. Um, I will start with Gary Lineker, please. Correct. Roger Miller. <laughs> well, no, that here's oh, a sub. Of course. So, oh, Michael, we've just established that. In that <laughs> case, unbelievable. Right, in that case, I can't touch Cameroon. Um, do I get to go again? Yep. Peter Beardsley. Lost a life. Absolutely, ast- absolutely. One of the worst performances <laughs> I've ever seen. Oh wait, he came on. He came on. Oh, I was going to say I vaguely remember him playing, but I, I wasn't. He sure came wasn't. on for John Barnes. So once again, Skull. Oh, it's wow. still so I, was, I got another chance. Um, Paul Parker. Correct. Um, Peter Sean. Correct. Oh, God. Uh, the Waddler. Correct. Des Walker. Correct. Mark Wright. Correct. Uh, David Platt. Correct. Stuart Pearce. Correct. Just two England players left, then we'll move on to Cameroon. Uh, John Barnes. Correct. Three England players left. Now there's two. Oh, God. Two left. Oh, God, who have we had? Well, can you tell me the position? Yeah, defence and midfield. Tony Dorigo? Incorrect. Michael? Um, I'm not sure of England, so I'm going to go for Francis Omambique. Correct. Who have we missed out? Paul Gascoigne. Oh, my God. That is shocking. And Terry Butcher. How have we missed out? Guess... Couldn't see the wood for shame, the trees. Absolute real shame. There we go. Thank you for listening. Absolute shambles. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening. If you want more Dion Dublin, or more importantly, next week's episode without adverts now, head over to anotherslice.com forward slash quickly Kevin for the quickly Kevin fan club. Uh, Maisie Adam joins us and we review two very contrasting documentaries about Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday throughout the 90s. Incredible stuff about how Ron Atkinson prepares his team for a cup final. That is over there now. But, but well, Michael, how would you like to end music-wise? Two options. If it exists, I'm going to play in some uh, audio footage of Dion Dublin on the tube. Um, if yep. it doesn't exist, then I will pick uh, World in Motion. Well, there's only one way to find out. Here it is. Lovely. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week. Until then, Stuart Slater. See you later.
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.